I have been searching. Welcome to Following the Fire, a podcast for Christians who are rethinking their faith and need a safe place to doubt. As we wander through the spiritual wilderness, we want to find and follow God wherever the pillar of fire leads. And just like God's people in the Bible, we get lost, we miss the point, and we don't have all the answers. But maybe that's okay. We're on this journey together. I'm Nathan. And I'm Steve. Even on my heart Can't compare with what you're Welcome back to Following the Fire. We have a special guest today. I'm excited to talk to Josh Kaiser, who I came across on TikTok. Uh, Josh, your stuff kind of started popping up. You got on just recently, didn't you? Just a few months ago, seems like. Yeah, I think it started kind of hitting getting more popular um, a couple months ago. I had been on TikTok for like a year before I created an account and mm. just loved it and loved the community that I discovered on there. A lot of other, you know, deconstructors on there that are just freaking brilliant, you know? Yeah. And um, I just thought, man, I I would like to share some stuff. So <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I really liked sometimes. your stuff because you, you, you have really uh, some really deep thoughts and a really uh, interesting way of looking at a lot of things. So your uh, your handle is local heretic, which is a great uh, yeah, name. The, the local heretic. Yep, <laughs> the, the local heretic. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, so why don't you kind of start us off by introducing yourself and talk about your journey through ministry and deconstruction to where you are now? Yeah. So, um, yeah, like I'm a I'm a father of six and um, a husband of thirteen years, twelve, thirteen years. Almost now, I should probably get that right, huh? Um, it's one of those two, and <laughs> it's math, man. I'm, I'm I do TikTok, I don't do math, so <laughs> that's some that's a great part of the intro. Now you know something about me. Not a math <laughs> guy. Anyway, um, yeah, I grew up Christian. Um, my dad was always uh, one of the best preachers in our church. They had kind of like a rotating preacher thing instead of like one single guy, um, and. You know, I I grew up watching everybody love him for sharing what he shared. And his secret sauce was kind of just getting up. And I mean, he's just he I always say he has more energy than God. So he he just gets up there and he just he just starts going, you know, and he's saying this stuff and this. He has no idea what he's going to say next, but he can say, but he does it and people love it, you know. And so it's (laughs) like it's very funny. Um, But he instilled in me like at a very early age, he was he he was like, I think you're going to you're going to be a pastor. And I, um, growing up, uh, never really thought about it, but, um, when I was 19, I had this, uh, fairly profound spiritual experience and had a, a, what I would call like a conversion moment. I I was kind of a, a gym rat muscle dummy before that and overnight went to like, Wikipedia and literally just Googled list of theologians, Christian theologians, Hmm. and got a list from like Origen and like St. Jerome, Justin Martyr, like early church dudes, um, all the way up to like mid 1900s. And then I just like started with the first one and bought his books and just read really all the way. I was 19. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, that's rare. It was I was weird. Yeah, absolutely. My friends were like, you want to hang out? And I was like, no, I'm reading Augustine. And it was. (laughs) Yeah, I was not popular anyway. So (laughs) 
so that that like really um, that hunger and thirst for knowledge that kind of was was awakened in that sort of spiritual experience um, fed very neatly into the vein of evangelicalism that was popular at the time. Um, one of the things that I you know listened to for hours um, was Mark Driscoll, Matt Chandler, um, mm-hmm. Tim Keller, John Piper, like the, these guys. I I worked at UPS at the time. I was loading trucks, and oh. uh, it was four hour shifts, and um, I would just pop my headphones in and listen to four or five sermons, um, and that was just like what what I did. I would read, <laughs> go to school read a little bit more, go to work, listen to sermons, come home, read, go to bed. And that was just kind of like how it was. So anyway, all of that to say that those guys specifically, um, the young restless reformed, like that was the mid two thousands. That was the thing. And this hunger and thirst for knowledge that I had really fed into like that reformed theological movement at the time. They were all big into church planning. So then I was like, well, I'm going to be into, I'm big into church planning too. So I got involved in church plants. Um, I was, Let's see. I had done five church plants by the time I uh, left the ministry. Five, not not wow. like I had started them, but like I sure. had worked in or part of had it. key volunteer roles in. Wow. And yeah, so I, I was a pastor for about eight years, um, going on at almost nine years. And the funny thing about it is that like I started out like as you know a guy who was cleaning toilets and stacking chairs, like that was what I did. Mm. And by the end of it, I was like, um, had a decent, like a mid-sized church and had like speaking invitations to regional pastors events. Um, had, I had a podcast at the time that had like a lot of downloads and it, it felt, it felt, um, like this was it. Here I am. Mm. I have I have I am achieving my dream and right. people loved me for what I one thing I got from my dad, just the authenticity and talking about my own life mm-hmm. and one part me, which was like the theology part of it. And like it was it was a winning it was a winning formula. But my wife was not happy and mm. was not being fulfilled in the church. And every part of my theology said that if I just told her the truth and if she just could just believe the truth, then, then she could be happy. Jesus could fill all her needs and and Mm. she would be fine. And in talking with her and really going through like some really hard conversations, (laughs) one of the things that I realized is that the reason I liked this job was because it fed my ego like Mm -hmm. nothing else. I'm like, sometimes people will ask me like, why, why are the Pharisees like, why do why, why would they live like that? Why would they live like that? And my answer was always like superiority is a drug. I mean, you, you, when you have high social status, it, it is, it's like crack. It's addicting to be in spaces where you're, so loved and worshiped um mm-hmm. loved is probably the wrong word so adored admired yeah there you go adored and admired listened to valued anyway mm-hmm. all all basic kind of human needs um but this realization was was really core I was like so then i had to ask why am i doing this 
Um, why, why do I, uh, get up every week and <laughs> have a 45 minute talk, you know, like what, yeah. what is this? And I started like reading outside of the Christian bubble and, you know, we had, we were foster parents and we had several, uh, African-American kids in our home mm-hmm. and we, thought it was really important to do like, you know, trainings on that. Cause, cause we're super white and <laughs> like, it's important to, yeah. to support them in their development in the culture that they're born into. And so, you know, doing all of that and reading specifically black theologians in, mm. in the last f- 50 years really opened my eyes to the system that I was benefiting from and also um, furthering, you know, like I was making sure the system stayed in place and man, one of the things that I really got from my childhood was, um, my dad, I still very much respect my dad. He's, he's a, uh, he's very, very evangelical Christian, but, um, they have like an inner city ministry and they, do like people experiencing homelessness. They help out with them. They help get careers and, um, they're doing some cool stuff. But Mm. part of my childhood was like seeing people in need, seeing people oppressed and doing something to fix it. And so the second that I started understanding the, all of the ways that white supremacy and colonialism worked into the job that I had that was feeding my ego, Mm. I could not sleep. I could not sleep at night. Wow. And I was, I mean, I was just telling somebody the other day that like I had a migraine cause the weather was changing. And I was like, I, the last time I had a migraine was when I was a pastor. <laughs> I used to get them all the time. I used to get them all the wow, time. Really? Um, but I really think it's because I had this realization where I was like, I, this is wrong. What I am mm. participating in is wrong. Doing um, more harm than good. Doing more harm than good. So that combined with I theologically, I had already because I had started like with the early church theologians, read their stuff, went all the way up. The perspective that I had on theology was very broad because shit changes, man. Like, I'm sorry. Can we swear on this? I don't really know. Sure. Go ahead. Um, Yeah. You know, uh, ideas about Jesus and the Trinity and the nature of the Bible and how to interpret the Bible, uh, and, and all like end end times, all this stuff, it, it ebbs and flows with, with time. And when you read across church history and you respect, uh, John Wesley and you respect Tertullian and you, and you really like, you read their stuff and you're like, man, these are smart guys. What, what happens is you're like, yeah, I don't know. We don't really know. These are smart people who are like saying very conflicting things. And, yep. um, no, I don't know. I don't know. So I already had that like coming into, to, to like theology. So it's funny, like the theology part, I instinctively knew where all of the cracks were because I had read all of the, the historical debates and really didn't have much invested in the theology. It was pure ego. <laughs> Oh, interesting. <laughs> sounds sounds terrible to admit, but when my when my eyes were open to that, I was just like, "Oh fuck, man! I, like we gotta we gotta do something about this." So, yeah, Oof. very heavy. Uh, but what basically happened then is that I was I also had had a lot of church uh, hurt um, surrounding that time. A couple leaders who were um, who I had a ton of respect for. 
um, wanted to name one of my kids after, um, just completely shit hit the fan. And, um, we do not, we do not talk anymore. Like if I see him in public, he, I am very scared that he's going to yell at me, uh, in public, make a scene, mm-hmm. you know, like it's I have a little trauma response there. Anyway, therapy's great people go to therapy <laughs> anyway. Amen. Amen. <laughs> So, um, had a couple church hurt things. I was like, man, I got to get out of this job. And my wife, I had mentioned wasn't happy. She had deconstructed and identif- started identifying as, uh, like a, a Christo pagan and very into, uh, witchy, witchy stuff and started a business with, um, she sells crystals and does Reiki. And, um, yeah, so she started that business and I, right about the same time I was like, okay, I can't do this job anymore for completely different reasons. Like I, I cannot do this. And I put my two weeks in Well, she starts her business. Somebody finds out. And two weeks later they, they fired me and looking back, I was like so mad and so hurt by them, but it was the best thing. It really was the best thing they could have done for me because you know, they just cold Turkey cut me clean and, and I was gone. So, um, Oof. So that's kind of how I got out of ministry, which is a very long story, but it is what it is. No, so. it's that there are a, it's as I'm sitting here listening to that there are a creepy amount of similarities between you and me. Yeah. Well, we I mean, got I, we we've been getting along pretty good, so I I could see something. <laughs> you know, there's some good chemistry here. I mean, like my grandpa was a a domestic missionary, for mm-hmm. lack of a better term. Yeah. He he tried to plant churches all over the place, all over the Midwest, and. And so I was like entrenched in, in Bible and, and fundamentalist theology for my entire life. Mm. And I idolized him because I wanted to be like as smart in the Bible as, as grandpa was. Mm. And I got, you know, two Bible degrees and I, I was going to be a missionary. And I, we, we were, we went, we were missionaries in Germany for almost four years and wow. came back to the States unplanned. We planned to stay there forever, right? And fix Germany, <laughs> save yeah. them all. And then we came back for lots of different reasons and uh, became really involved in the church just as volunteers. Mm-hmm. And I kind of became that guy at church that everybody wanted to go to my classes. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, I, I know stuff. <laughs> I'm pretty cool. <laughs> you know? And, yeah. uh, and everybody wanted to want me to like lead worship and all the stuff. And I'm like, and I, I was so, I got so sucked into that and I loved it so much that mm-hmm. And I told myself I'm doing this because I, I really want to serve, and I, I think I, I did. I that was part of it for sure. But I, mm-hmm. I, I kind of loved it, and so that's I, I didn't realize that honestly until we left, and now I'm mm-hmm. at a, a very super progressive church, and, yeah. um, but there's a lot. It's different, and I, I'm new. I'm the new guy. Yeah. I didn't realize how much I had lost that that ego boost every Sunday, you know, which yeah. is not what you should be having on a Sunday morning at church is well, like, right. there for an ego boost. Right. Yeah. But that's like, so the culture, it's like, it is what it, what it's oh, yeah. about. And the people like if it, they don't, the, the, the people who come and attend church, at, at least in the, the brand of church that I was in, it, it really, really, honestly, it was not about like growing your relationship with Jesus. It was about um, making you feel better about the world mm-hmm. around you and about what, what you're experiencing in your life. Yeah. And there's definitely space for that. And I, I mean, it's, you know, it's important, but that was all it was. And that's why they came. So like I was there for the ego boost. They were there for a little, something a little comforting and, and there was a great transaction. It worked for a while. <laughs> yeah. 
So now you're you you've deconstructed your ex an ex Christian, you'd say, or uh, so I do actually still identify as Christian. Um, it's kind of rare that I'll share my beliefs. I do have some videos on them. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll bridge the gap there. So basically, I uh, leave the ministry. Been on TikTok for a while. Really enjoy and love the the deconstruction community on TikTok. Like that, like I would die for so many of those people. Honestly, like yeah. I love those people. Um, and and I started just started making videos one day. It was kind of cathartic. Honestly, I was like, eh, I got fired, guys. Why, why, why? Like that was kind of <laughs> if you go back far enough on my channel, that's what you'll see. Um, <laughs> and and realized you know, very quickly that, that I, I set the things that I was saying were, were helping other people and, and like the journey that I was on and sharing where I was at just in that moment, um, was what like other people were like, wow, I, I've never seen it this way before. And this perspective is really, so people were like, wow, this is very helpful. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I can do something good with this. Okay. Yeah. Sweet. Let's do it. <laughs> um, you still, so, I mean, you still like to help people, even if you're not a pastor, right? Exactly. Exactly. And, um, it is just kind of a social media is like this for everybody, but it's just kind of like a weird outlet for, for what I'm thinking through. Um, and anyway, it's, it's really, it's really interesting to me, but, um, yeah, I started making deconstruction content and actually I met with my dad. He's like, Hey, I'm concerned about you, son. And, uh, we need to get breakfast. And I was like, Oh, fuck. Uh, here we go. So we got breakfast and to my surprise, he didn't bring anything up, but he was like, have you thought about life coaching? Because it's just like being a pastor basically. And you don't need an education for it, which is like a weird thing to say, but, um, <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah, um, yeah. and, uh, so I was like, you know, I hadn't thought about life coaching, but I wonder if like people would, would want like help deconstructing. Like, I wonder if I could mm. help them with that. And so I was like, well, the only way to find out is to try. So I launched, um, my coaching business and, um, was shocked at how many people do want that. Really? (laughs) And, um, it's been, honestly, that is like, I I like TikTok and I like when, when you're a content creator on TikTok and your video does really well, it feels really good. It does. Sure. But the thing that I think is the most meaningful thing in my life is meeting with people one-on-one and just figuring mm-hmm. out where they're at and where they're stuck and where they're, where they're struggling with and, and giving them potential paths forward. Um, yeah. th- my kind of coaching philosophy is that I want to support you in what you believe because so much of what evangelicalism is, is uh, removing your autonomy and telling you what you have to believe and how you have to behave And so I see my role as somebody who's in your corner who can help you figure out what that is. And I have zero, because I'm not a pastor, I have zero investment (laughs) in where you end up. Um, But I can help you work through some of some of those stuff. So anyway, I it is one of the most rewarding things that I've ever done with my life. And I feel great about it. (laughs) I mean, that's, that's great to find that deconstruction or not. I mean, that's great to find that that niche. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's, it's a good time. It's a crazy time. It's weird to think that this is what I do now, especially to think where I was two years ago, but, um, here I am. Mm, so. Wow. And what's the, what's the, the name of your practice? Yes. 
so the practice is, is called Vivant Coaching, Vivant Life Coaching. So it's V-I-V-A-N-T. It's a French word. Um, it means it's like the quality of having life or being alive. Right. Um, so I, I was like life coaching, alive, alive, life coaching, feel alive. And I was like, no, this is stupid. And it sounds like Aliveness. life church. Yeah, exactly. Um, so actually, so my brother <laughs> took me to this brewery in Grand Rapids, Michigan, which is where he lives. It's called Brewery Vivant. And I was like, that's a sweet name. That's so cool. And their beer was so good. It was so good. <laughs> so I was like, yeah. So I was kind of like dr- a really little funny. bit tipsy. And I was like, this is it. This is the name. This is what I'm doing. So that's how I came up with that <laughs> name. But Vivant, V I V A N T, lifecoaching.com. Um, you can get more information there. So. The air fills my lungs. The summer sun brings growth and the winter cold gives rest. Crunchy leaves feel good beneath my feet. And I'm just not sure I have to know it all. So you asked, um, you know, if I like identify as an ex-Christian. Um, honestly, where I personally am at, I really can't deny spirituality and the existence of something greater than myself. Um, there's a lot of atheists and agnostics that follow me and really like to challenge me on that. And I deeply appreciate it. Um, but the truth is it is just a subjective thing. There's no, there is, they're right. There is no objective evidence for this and I cannot prove it to them, but whatever it is that I believe and however it is, I connect to, to the divine, to God, whatever you want to call it. It's super meaningful to me. And I was having this conversation with my brother who is, who is an atheist. And he was just like, man, I have really been learning to like reparent, um, myself and like we've just been going through this thing in therapy it's been really great and I was like this sounds a lot like <laughs> what how I see spirituality and I almost mm. sometimes I'm like I wonder if it's the same thing I don't really care um, what it is it doesn't that doesn't bother me like the existence right. of something more um, I I just know what's right in front of me I just know what I know and and what I know is that again what i know and i'm not gonna this doesn't this is why i don't like to share uh a lot because i don't want people to feel like they have to believe what i believe or you know i want them Whether to your achieve. belief is a goal anyway in any way exactly exactly because it makes me feel like i'm a pastor again it really irks me like to the core of my being <laughs> yeah, um, I, I get it yeah. uh so but I'll, that that caveat being shared, I do feel comfortable sharing <laughs> that, um, you know, I, I identify as like a Christian mystic and uh, Christian mysticism is something that's like really, uh, I think, profound and beautiful. It's been extremely helpful to me feeling like, you know, making strides like in therapy while using spirituality to to like get there. I, I don't know. Like the thing is, like it works for me. So that's what it is. <laughs> yeah, I remember I was uh a little while ago, a few days ago, maybe you, you put, you had a video about that on TikTok about where do you start with the Christ, Christian mysticism thing? And the, when I first heard that term Christian, Christian mysticism, I'm like, come on, what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, it's like the, an oxymoron, but yeah. um, the more I looked into it, the, uh, I, I've, I've mentioned a thousand times on this podcast, it seems like now that 
I really like the writings of John Philip Newell. Oh, dude, um, JPN man, that that guy. I, we, I got to That's meet him. Guy. He was here in Fort Collins. He spoke <gasps> at our church. Whoa! And uh, and he he's agreed to be on the podcast at some point. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> so I'll try to get him on sometime soon. But That's I mean, so cool, man. The, I remember I I I've been, I was very much in the in the place of I don't even know what I believe anymore. You know, mm-hmm. I'm still kind of there, but. I went to this evening where they had him at our church and the ministers at our church are all in, all very connected with the mystical type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's a, it's a United Church of Christ. So very gotcha. yep. uh, progressive. And our church has like cult, Celtic Christianity meetings, meetups and stuff like that. I'm like, Celtic what? I mean, yeah. Do you like sit around and talk in the Irish accents or something? Um, <laughs> And, and drink but, so, so, Hell yeah, uh, but I went to the evening of uh, him talking about his new book and it just like mm. blew my mind in so many ways. And it just mm. connected with me so deep. Well, and, that guy, uh, man, he, if anybody, if you haven't read any John Philip Newell, you, you've got to, I might even have a book, his book in my car. Really? <laughs> oh no, it's my other backpack. Yeah. It, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm a big, big JPN guy. So absolutely. Yeah. But, and I really, I really appreciate how you, how you, are approaching that from from your direction as far as once again it's kind of kind of like mine but i i also feel like i know there's something there mm-hmm. I, I i get this you know once again can't prove it or disprove mm-hmm. it um but the things that i have learned over the past couple of years have opened my eyes to so many things mm-hmm. that that i've had to let go because i just they have been disproven Right, uh, and that's it, hard to do. I mean, wh- wh- where do you start with what do you? What, I mean, it's like this. It's like living with cognitive dissonance here every day. It's it's just getting worse. It seems like sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that like part of what happens when people um, begin to deconstruct, and I really like how Pete ends. I don't know if you're familiar with the Bible for normal oh, yeah. people, um, but Pete Pete ends talks about how deconstruction is something that happens to you, not something that you like choose to go through. Right. But speaking to your, what you said about cognitive distance, I, I mean, I think that there's a moment and I have it like in my story where you wake up a little bit and you're just like, Oh shit, this is maybe probably most likely not true. <laughs> yeah. And it, it just, it, sometimes it starts like a trickle and it can be a couple months where you're fine and it hits you again um, and a couple months and another, another round of it. Sometimes it's like the, to use a Christian word, the floodgates open, uh, and, and it's just, you're, you feel like you're drowning and it's, it's a, uh, it's so disorienting. Um, most like most of the people, like if I have like a first time, uh, person that I'm coaching, um, the most common word that they will use is the word lost. I feel so lost. And that, that hits home because yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you live your entire life, making sense of your life through the lens of this story that the church has given you, that makes the whole world make sense. People sin. Mm -hmm. So that's why there's evil. God is good. And that's why I have sunshine and Cheerios and cinnamon toast crunch. (laughs) Um, Cinnamon toast crunch is objectively better, (laughs) but anyway, 
serial snob here. So anyway, um, <laughs> right. And, and like, even I, that example is in, funny, but it, it, it really hits nail on the head because like even the most mundane, simple things you tell yourself that is from God. And so you, you have this whole worldview, your entire perspective is based on this this narrative, this story that the that the church gave you. And as yeah. soon as it stops making sense, then the way that you've made sense of the world your entire life just comes crashing down. And yeah, you feel lost because that story told you what to do next and where to go next. And if you don't know what to do, pray some more and you know, go to the pastor, whatever. Like you that story gave your gave your life a future. And then when you deconstruct, all of a sudden you can't see two steps ahead of you anymore. And you, you do, you feel, you feel super lost. Yeah. You've had this thing that was your anchor to hold on to. And then it's like, what do I hold on to now? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's it's rough. It is. Yeah. So one of the things that leads me to what I want to talk to you most about tonight was I think that you've got a lot of experience from not only yourself and your wife, um, but through your practice of talking to all these different people going through different, different directions of, uh, and paths through deconstruction. Mm-hmm. When I hear the term deconstruction, sometimes it's used to mean I have deconstructed my faith it means I've tossed it away. And I'm completely gone. I'm, I'm like something else now. Sometimes it means other things like where, what are the, what do you see from your perspective as the, maybe the, the large buckets that people kind of find themselves in at the end? Or if there is an end, I mean, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, I like I like your phrase of uh, large buckets. I think that while everybody's deconstruction journey is very, very different and like going into deconstruction coaching, I was like, well, I've got this five step process and you're just going to go through step one and then two. Yeah. What happens is like you start meeting with somebody and you realize that there is no one size fits all uh, strategic plan for your deconstruction. It is different for every single right. person. However, that being said, there are some <clears throat> huge generalities, um, big buckets, like you said, um, that people can fit into. And you also said, like, if it is, if it ever is over yeah. and, and I'm just going to, if there's somebody who's listening to this, who is like, man, this is me. Like I'm really struggling through it. And, and I just want to know what the five-step process is to get out of it and where I'm going to end up. Yeah. It's, you can't, I just cannot tell you. I cannot tell I, cause I just don't know. And will it ever end? I don't know. Like I know so many people who, who quote unquote deconstructed 20 years ago and they still struggle with thoughts of going to hell, just driving down the street. Mm. You know, like if I get in a car crash, I'm going to, I'm going to go to hell. Um, or finding like waking up and realizing that your significant other went out to grab coffee or something and you don't know where they are. And then you're like, uh, did the rapture happen? Like this, this like end times obsessive thinking. So there, there are people who, who are still struggling with this like 20 years later. So I don't mean to burst anybody's bubble. Um, I really do I do want to offer some hope. I really do think that you can work and it, and I do mean that word work to uncondition the beliefs that you have had for however long you've been in church and then recondition your mind to um to support a, a belief system a perspective that is more authentic to to you. 
So that being said, where, what are the generalities? Like, where do, where do people end up? So when I started deconstruction coaching, I was like, here's what's going to happen. Everybody's going to go through this program that I have. And then probably they're all just going to be atheist agnostic. That's probably what's going to happen. That's not true. (laughs) (laughs) At least in, in anecdotally in, in my sample size, um, what most people in my experience want is to come to a place where they can still have the parts of faith that they really, really do identify with, um, like deep to their core. Like that is authentically who they are. Similar to kind of like what you and I were sharing, like it's some, there is something undeniable to us. Um, when there is within Christianity, there's so many things that are deniable, <laughs> but there are, there's, right. like, there's just like maybe two things that are just under, I, I know this deep in my bones. So anyway, when people, a, a lot of people, move from evangelicalism to just like you, um, like a progressive church, like progressive Christianity. Right. The interesting thing about that is that depending on where you live, finding a progressive church is very difficult because what a lot of people got out of evangelical church, progressive church, sometimes intentionally, does not do. <laughs> oh, 100%. Yes. And so very often what they're looking for is a is like Christianity 2.0, evangelicalism 2.0. Um mm. and w- we have to work through that because the truth is that just like people who grow up with an abusive parent can often feel very close to that parent and like want a relationship mm. with that parent and maybe act in some unhealthy ways and do some mental gymnastics to justify the actions of that parent so that they can still have a relationship oh. with that parent. Just like that, we can, we can do that with the church. And so, yeah, the, the worship night service where you cried for a half an hour when they played defender or I don't know, whatever, whatever song is, popular now um i don't i, <laughs> I don't gyra, even know. <laughs> right when i left it was it was like gyra anyway whatever um <laughs> yeah that like that worship night where you got the the goosebumps that that may not happen anymore in a more healthy spirituality because progressive churches for the most part aren't trying to manipulate you through a church service so that you can feel some sort of catharsis and leave. What yeah. happens when you move out of evangelicalism into like a progressive faith? It very often these again these are very general, very general, is that you have to figure out a way to 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 have a meaningful spirituality within yourself. The church cannot be the place where you you get that. Um, yeah. It can help you. It can help you, and it can be meaningful, and it can it can be it can be so great. But the truth is that if you leave one abusive parent for another, that's, that's just what you're doing, you know? Yeah. I remember when I was talking to, before we joined the church we're at now, I was talking to the senior minister and I said, you know, I come from a very strict background, you know, very, very strict, like acapella music only, all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I said, we like what you guys are about you know, like social justice, things like that. But I'm like, 
I'm, I've, I've kind of developed some pretty weird ideas about Jesus. And he's like, yes. Steve, trust me, I've got weirder ideas. <laughs> <laughs> and that, you know, that was kind of a, a safe, maybe made it a much more safe space because yeah. it, it wasn't not so much, it was like just the accepting nature of things was surprising. And it's almost, it was so different that I kind of didn't know what to do with it almost. Yeah. So I think that that's a really great example of this because you're saying I had some ideas. I came to some beliefs myself and I found a place where I'm accepted. That is so beautiful. That's perfect. When people immediately leave evangelicalism, one of the things that they very often have to work through, and again, this is not a one size fits all thing, but very often um, is like, that's what you have to do. You have to do the work you have to like come to beliefs that you believe because again, if you're just sucking on the, the belief teat from, uh, <laughs> evangelicalism, oh, sorry. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> and, <laughs> and they're just, they're just feeding you what to believe. And then you liked that. And so you're looking for that, but without the racism, um, <laughs> like, that's not what it is. That's not what it yeah. is. And that's not a yeah. pathway to like meaningful spirituality. You're just doing the same thing. You, what, what evangelical church does is take away your autonomy. This is, this is like the kind of the core thing. And if you go to some place where you just, you don't want to be in charge of yourself and what you believe you want somebody to tell you, I, you're just not going to be happy. And that's not how a lot of progressive churches work. So <laughs> and rightly so. Yeah. And that that's a really good way to put it as far as like being fed the thing to build like, I thought I was very in touch with spirituality and, and things like that until I left. And then I'm like, I would, that was just, I was parroting the, the party line basically. Mm-hmm. And now I'm figuring this out. It's like spirituality is a bigger thing than I ever imagined it was, which yes. makes it all confusing again, you know? Yes. Like hacking my own way through the jungle. Absolutely. Absolutely. But did you, I would love to know, when when you kind of left and and walked walked away, did you have to like deal with having a sense of certainty, like not having no. it anymore? And hundred percent, yeah. How 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 did you do that? Do you think? How did I, I deal just, with I it? I just flipped this. I just flipped the script. That's fine. Switch script. That's the word I was looking for. Yeah. Um, yeah. Being a life coach, man. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, My bad. So how did I deal with it? Yeah, how did you deal with with not being certain anymore? I, it didn't. It's not like a, it was a cutoff at, mm-hmm. at any moment. Mm-hmm. I we left for some very specific reasons, and uh, mostly like Black Lives Matter, women in the church, and mm-hmm. uh, LGBTQ issues, mm-hmm. and that distanced us from some people. And so at first, it was like a loss of connection and, and loneliness, mm-hmm. and even with my own family, and then. Um, then it became, it's like, sl- I slowly lost the thing that, it w- that was my, my, uh, constant and the thing I could hold on to. Mm. So it was, as it slowly slipped away, I kind of, I mean, if, if I, if it was a situation where I woke up one day, I'm like, oh crap, I don't have anything to hold on to. I don't know. I, I don't know how to deal with that. But the fact that it was a kind of a slow slip, slipping away, I remember waking up one morning, one morning, I'm like, I, I don't know what to hold on to, mm-hmm. but you know, kind of. Coming back out the other side, I'm kind of still down there a little bit. But so yes. dealing with it as far as that goes, I, that's, what, that's what kind of led me into looking at people like Richard Rohr and John mm-hmm. Philip Newell. And and uh, and so I dealt with it by 
finding other people who have dealt with it. Yes. Really. And TikTok. <laughs> and TikTok. No. Heck yeah, man. Yeah. So like I asked that because um, I think something, at least to me, if, if I'm like sitting down with you and we're, and we're chatting, something that tells me that you're pretty far along on your deconstruction journey is that you you've realized that you don't need that certainty anymore, or maybe you're just never going to have it. And so you don't even, you're not trying to get it anymore because that's really, that's, that's really what evangelicalism is about. They, it's selling you certainty. It's a transaction. They give you this like feeling that this story makes the whole world make sense and you can believe it and you can be certain of it. And that is so comforting. And in that transaction, that's what you get, but you give them authority over your life and they get to tell you what to believe and how to behave. And this, this transaction, um, when you deconstruct, all of a sudden you don't have that certainty anymore. And like mm-hmm. I, when I, when I'm very, again, very generally talking about like the first part of deconstruction for many people is this like hump of, I'm never going to have the level of certainty about spirituality that the church gave me. I'm never going to have that again. And, and realizing that is, is a huge, huge step. And so that's why like a lot of people land in progressive uh, church, because uh, just like you said, you, you have, you arrived at some beliefs that that you have yourself that maybe are a little bit weird. Um, And the (laughs) church was like, sweet, come on in, man. Like that's, that's progressive. That's, that's church. That is church. That's good shit. That's yeah. what I'm saying. So that's like the first big bucket is like people or people. What does life look like after deconstruction? A lot of people find a, a progressive church in town. So. Do not know exactly what God wants of me. He's only told me how to act towards you. And I'm too far separated from the men who wrote the law. Stand before you, pointing out your flaws. So con- continue on with the, with the buckets. With the buckets. Yeah, and I, I want to be clear. This is not like a, a place. This is not like a step-by-step thing. So this is like where generally people right. land. So um, again, this uh, this is my opinion, but I think that deconstruction is about finding uh, a, a belief set or a narrative of the world perspective that is most authentic to who you are. So mm-hmm. your deconstruction journey, quote unquote, is over, quote unquote, <laughs> when <laughs> when you find like a way to be. Um, and I mean that like in in like a more mystic sense, like to like to, a contentment. Yeah. Well, like a, like a contentment, but also like a way to live and exist in the world that is authentic that is truly authentic to you Mm, um and and in many ways that's not done because we're it's never done because we're ever evolving and ever learning and ever growing um you know so so that's why like the end after deconstruction i don't know man i think this is a lifelong process and i anyway i can talk about that so here anyway getting back to the topic at hand (laughs) um the second big bucket where i think a lot of people end up is the spiritual but not religious crowd. Mm. Um, that's how I would label this. So yeah. in this, you would have, like I, I feel like I identify with with this. Um, organized religion to, to me is like, it's triggering. I'll, maybe I'll get to a point where I can can do this, but like going to church, 
is hard. <laughs> and um, so there's that. And I think that a lot of if, if people like deconstruct and then go to the progressive church and try it out, a lot of times they want to do it. But then they go and yeah, it is. It's triggering. It is because it um, it can, sorry, it can be um, and right. it can be because the because what happened to you in evangelical church was so traumatizing that that going and being a part of organized religion again might not be for you for a while or forever. It's okay, you know? Um, And so, but these people definitely still want to be spiritual and they definitely still like know that there's something, something out there. So I, I, I identify with this as like kind of Christian mystic. That's not really into a a church per per se. And my, my wife uh, identifies as a Christo pagan, which uh, is like, she's finding other ways to, have spirituality and have spiritual rituals and you know a, a, a structure for connection um that is wedded to Jesus. So uh, there's man there are so many people who like are like mixing uh some Buddhist practices in with Christianity and finding a lot of meaning in in that. So mm-hmm. these are like spiritual people but not and they're they're kind of religious because they're they're still finding ways to express their spirituality, and it's such a high value to them that they're finding ways to structure their lives around it. But it's not a like organized religion um, right. place. Does that make? Am I making? Yeah, sense? it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, <laughs> because there's there's thousands of ways to express that that need, or I should say, fulfill that need mm-hmm. of spiritual connection. And some people find that through nature. Some people find that through going to a room with lots of other people who are kind of the same. And, you know. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And um, so, yeah, I think that that's like the second bucket where people, where people end up. Um, The, the third, again, overly general, but big bucket is what I think a lot of people think of a lot of, this is what a lot of Christians think when you're saying deconstruction. Um, It's like the atheist agnostic camp. And these are people that to, to them, if you're agnostic, you can still have a lot of spirituality in your life and you still believe in spirituality many times. Um, but you just don't know what it is and you don't, and, and you're comfortable with that. And honestly, that's great. Honestly, that's great for you. If just being it, like, okay with not knowing. Exactly, exactly. And not worried about it. Exactly. It's not bothering you. And what, again, what is most authentic to you is to say, I've got no idea, man. I don't know, but I like it. It's okay. You know, um, like that's a, that's a great place to be. And, um, for, for a lot of atheist people, again, what, what is most authentic to them is that there is no such thing as, as a, as divine, a divinity. There's no spiritual realm. Um, and that really makes sense to, to them. And, um, moving from like a, a evangelical to atheist is what I expected to encounter all the time, but it is actually like the least, <laughs> really the least common thing. Um, in, in my, again, in my practice, Your in my practice, experience. Right. So, but mm. it is still like we, we, you know, I still have several clients who, who that's, that's how they identify and that, and that like we find ways to find meaning after spirituality. And this is something that I think a lot of Christians, a lot of uh, evangelicals think um, it's, it's just like, how could you, how could you possibly have peace and hope and comfort 
without Jesus or without spirituality. And the, right. the, the thing is, like, I know so many people who do. <laughs> it's possible. Yeah, and honestly, that way back when I was a kid, <clears throat> I remember being in, taught in church, as most of us were, that it is impossible to have a fulfilled life and be content mm-hmm. with your life and without this close personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Right. But then I started meeting people, mm-hmm. you know, like in real life. I'm like, they, uh, they have that. Um, and like the fruit of the spirit, only Christians, right? Well, wrong. Wrong. I mean, it's like, it, like Gandhi. I remember watching the Gandhi as a kid mm-hmm. and my parents like rented it. I think it was probably on two VHS tapes mm-hmm. and one of the long movies. And we're watching that. I'm like, this guy is like Christian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, but he's not, what's going on here? Right. Right. It is entirely possible to have a meaningful life and to have purpose and a, and a sense of of self-worth and identity without without any sense of spirituality. It it is possible. Uh, and I know cuz I've seen it. So, and I, I think that like what holds a lot of people up in, at least in in evangelicalism is that they think if you're going to start deconstructing then you're going to not believe in anything. And part of my pushback is like, is that so bad? <laughs> like it, it yeah. is possible. It is possible to have a meaningful life afterwards. So. Yeah. It is. It's when you talk, when you're talking to the people who are preaching on, uh, on Sunday morning, it is bad. Oh, it, oh yeah. It, it's, it's the mm-hmm. worse. Uh, I remember, you know, like the, the song, Oh sacred head. Do you remember you know that one? Mm. The old, old hymn. Hmm. We, it's beautiful. Like it's like Bach arranged the music to it, and it's just gorgeous. Oh, interesting. One of the lines is, um, "Oh, let me never outlive my love for thee." Hmm. And it's like one of my professors at one point said in in Bible college, he's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. "When you're singing that song, what you're saying is, if I ever start to leave Jesus, please kill me first." <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> I'm like, oh, it's pretty heavy. <laughs> uh-huh. Yep. And that's that's the mindset. For a lot of Christians, and a lot, especially evangelicals and fundamental Christians, mm-hmm. when that is the only way to live and no other way than when your friend, you know, child, whatever, leaves that and starts believing and professing and teaching another thing, or even like what we're discussing now is mm-hmm. like some of the people listening to this, I, I know are still very connected to the church in different ways. And mm-hmm. it sounds like we're saying, eh, whatever. <laughs> right. And just that idea is it, that you that we're now into false prophet area. Mm. And we're false teachers and we're lambs and wolves in sheep clothing, whatever. Yep, wolves in sheep clothing. Yep. That was almost my uh, my TikTok handle because I got called that so much. I was like, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just going to lean into it, I guess. <laughs> so yeah. we have the progressive Christian bucket. Mm-hmm. And the spirituality without a religion bucket, mm-hmm. and then folks who end up agnostic or atheist. Mm-hmm. Is, is yeah, the, are the, go continue. Well, I was just say those are the three major major buckets, and obviously there's so many ways to uh, demarcate within those three buckets um, different sort of beliefs. I, I know a bunch of people who say I'm I'm agnostic but very spiritual, much like. 
it seems like we're we're referring we use the word spectrum to refer to a lot of things. Yeah. Now, I really do think that this is kind of a spectrum where you can you can have um, you know, multiple different beliefs and it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. You know. A spectrum as opposed to just a, like a, a linear uh, yeah, scale. as a linear progression. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You can you can land anywhere on this spectrum here. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and I think um one more thing I wanted to say about atheists slash agnostics is yeah. that when when you land in that camp, the people who um who have spent a lot of time there that I personally know, their ethics and morals are so much more like ironically Christ-like mm. be, because there I have you heard the the vertical versus horizontal uh, morals analogy? Uh, so refresh so, my memory. It's all right. So basically how this goes is that in vertical morality you have a being who is above you, who knows more than you, is more powerful than you, and yeah. tells you what is right and wrong. In horizontal morality, it's based on the people around you. Yes. And when when you're an atheist and you still want to be a good person, like 99.999% of atheists do. You have to find a way to value human life and, and have that inform how you see the world. And because your standard is no longer a being who's above you, who knows everything and, and can just tells you what to do, your standard now is, is humanity and how I, how I treat humanity and human flourishing. And because of that, these are the most generous people that I know. These are the most uh, grateful and gracious people that I know um, yeah. because they're not worried about offending a, a higher power. So <clears throat> I, I, I feel like, especially with like church people, it's important to, to let them know that the caricature of atheist that church often gives them ju- just is just is wrong. I mean, just get to know some. Not on the internet. Don't. <laughs> don't, don't get to find, know anybody on the internet. <laughs> no. <laughs> but, but find some in real life. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's incredibly different. That's a fascinating point that you make because the, the more I let go of the Bible as the end all be all of everything, because mm-hmm. I grew up basically worshiping the Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, more I, the more I lean into that and realizing that the the onus is more on me to figure out like what is moral and then i'm i'm having to pay a lot more attention to people around me i'm having to yeah. ask myself is what i'm doing hurting other people whereas before i just like did the bible say xyz uh, whatever you know if it didn't say it then i don't have to worry about it but but i if, if when i'm looking around next to me i see people who are hurting and i'm like you. these people need help it doesn't matter who, what letters are after their name or whatever. They just mm-hmm. need help. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Or how they identify or what they believe. They just, it's, it's the worth, irony. it's worth helping people. Um, it's yeah. worth being a good person. You don't need to have the threat of punishment in order to be a good person. Oh boy. <laughs> oh boy. Talk about unlearning some things, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Dude, one of my biggest, uh, TikTok videos was talking about how I came to the point where I no longer believed in hell. And Mm. what was so fascinating about that video to me was the amount of Christians that commented and were basically like, well, why be good then? 
why why not sin like why why not and it it was so eye opening to me how because I used to be that person um, how how blind I was to to the inherent value of just loving somebody else as a goal in and of itself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember that punishment things big. back in my Steve's school, school teacher days, I taught a class at our church about the afterlife and our, our tradition has never had any connection to it. Like uh, end time stuff or rapture or anything like that. It's always kind of hand waved away. And, you know, Revelation's just about Rome or whatever. And, uh, but, but the idea of heaven and hell is very, very real. And I taught through this entire class and the, I did a lot of deep study on myself. And I, I, I was kind of at the, at the time, I was at the point of like annihilationism. Mm-hmm. That, you know, if you're bad at the end of time, you just go poof and you're like, you never existed. Mm-hmm. And, then you have to start thinking about like, like God pulls the memories of you out of people's heads or ah, that's, that's weird. You know, it's like, uh-huh. <laughs> anyway. Uh, but I remember teaching the class and going through all these verses about how Jesus never said anything about eternal hell. It's not in the Bible at all, all this mm-hmm. thing. And what the, what eternal means and all that. Mm-hmm. And at the end of it, I'm like, so is there an eternal punishment, et cetera, et cetera. And this guy's like, Yeah. I'm like you missed you missed man, it. I, I just you went through it. I, I just went through it, man. Like, yeah. <laughs> where were you? <laughs> and I'm like, did you? Did... <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, that th- that seems to be a huge one for people. I mean, yeah. I, of, uh, there's so many creators on TikTok who are are in the Bible sphere or the deconstruction sphere, and anytime they start talking about hell, people just get really upset. Yeah. Well, this is <laughs> this is because what Christians, uh, what modern way evangelicals worship isn't, uh, Jesus. It's, um, like this sort of like revenge porn idea of, of hell and, and the end times. And it's, it's all superiority. It's just the, like I said, superiority is, is a drug. And like that, the feeling that other people are going to hell makes you feel better about yourself. And, um, that's, I mean, that's really what I think it is. And, and people, we're going to see it play out. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I don't know if we want to get into politics, but um, absolutely. So Our last two episodes have been about politics. So, it's so, oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're getting <laughs> Yeah, no, that's exactly it. And, and it, it like informs how, how they want to vote and how they want to see the world. And it, it's pretty crazy. And, and, and pretty again, dark. like, it's pretty dark. You look at it and you're just like, is, is this about something positive or is this about something negative? And I just think more often than not, it's about something negative. It's about being against things. And it's about, um, it's not about standing for something. It's about putting other people down so you can feel better about yourself. That's my opinion, but that's just me. Yeah. And I remember, uh, one of your, you did two videos just recently that just, I loved so much, sent them to everybody I knew about um well you mentioned earlier about the transactional nature mm-hmm. of church and things like that and like it was either the one before or after it, talking about the how the sense of of certainty like you mentioned earlier mm-hmm. and how that's just going to be gone and how people are like how in the world can you find peace and comfort without this world this kind of a and your response was i kind of wonder how you can find it within that world and kind of that's kind of what you're saying is 
there's this, this structure built around it that is so spiky and it feels like from the inside that it's fine, but it's like a cage and you yes. can't get out. And yes. Uh, when, when you are motivated by let's, let's just call it hate. Cause it, cause that's what it is. When, when you're motivated by stopping the gay agenda, um, when you're motivated by preserving white supremacy in America, um, when you're, when you're motivated by maintaining, um, misogynistic yeah. worldview, like when that is your life, there, there just cannot be a way <laughs> that you are content or at peace or have joy. I mean, I, I just think it's impossible. I think it's impossible. So, it's, so yeah, the question is like, how do you, how do you have that in that? How do you watch Fox right. News all day and be like, you know what? I'm just full of the Holy Spirit right now, and I feel really great <laughs> about about my life, and I just feel very content. You know, it's like I don't know how people. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I do know what it is. Is <laughs> they feel superior, and they're trying yeah. to preserve systems where they feel superior, and that is what makes them feel better. So, but it's just it's not a way to live, man. Being against everything and everybody is not a way to live. Yeah, and moving away from it's not doesn't make us perfect either. So, absolutely, we're trying. I, I feel like all of us, the you know, trying to sum up the whole thing. I feel, I feel like people going through this deconstruction thing, like you said, it, it happens to you. Mm-hmm. I didn't wake up one morning and say, "I think I'm going to tear apart my family and <laughs> my <laughs> my community and my friends." You know and, what I want is a really bad Thanksgiving. This is going to be great. Right. I need yeah. some stress on top of COVID. You know exactly. Uh, but it happens to you, and I'm still the same person who I did. I long for the to do to to have a fulfilling life and to help others and to etc. Mm-hmm. And and the things that I I have been taught as a child to search for the truth and and question the things you're taught that led me here. Yeah. And so people I think that are going through deconstruction wherever they end up, I think it's important that people that we as on onlookers or participants in it understand that this is something that is it's deep mm-hmm. and it's hard and it's it's usually a very honest thing mm-hmm. and if you're listening to this and you are not going through deconstruction but some of you one you know is be patient mm-hmm. uh, have some patience with them and and the, the whole situation yeah absolutely um that reminds me of a book i read from and I think it was from the 80s. It was on politics in the 80s. But they quoted a uh, Harvard, like, uh, what, do, what, do they, what do they call it when you graduate at the top of your class and you give that speech? A valedictorian. Oh, thank you. That's the word. It was like a valedictorian uh, speech from the 60s, from like all this political okay. unrest in the 60s. And basically what this kid said was um, our values came from you. It came from if you're a, if you're sitting out there and you're a parent, our values came from you, yeah. and you're mad about how we're expressing those. But please remember that it's the same values. And I really believe that a lot of people oh, who good. are deconstructing, they value the love of Jesus. Mm-hmm. They value the fruits of the spirit of peace and joy and gratitude, thankfulness, gentleness. When's the last time you heard a sermon on being gentle? That is not like in mm. the evangelical church. But my point is that there, if you're, if you have somebody in your life who is deconstructing, and you feel like you 
are still very much into church and um, and evangelicalism or whatever expression you have, I want you to know that there are so many points of connection that you still have with with that person who is deconstructing in your life. Very, very likely they are mm-hmm. just deconstructing because of the values that you share. And you can you can still have a meaningful relationship with them. That's fabulous. Well, let's end it there. Um, I mean, I, I feel like I could talk to you forever. <laughs> uh, dude, I feel the same. This is great. This is super this, fun. Yeah. Uh, so remind us where we can find your stuff and what uh, what you have going on. Absolutely. Um, I have uh, a lot going on, so we'll buckle up, Buttercup, because here we go. Um, so <laughs> I'll put all this in the show notes as well, too. Okay, thanks, man. <laughs> uh, so I, I'm at the local Heretic Live on TikTok. I have weekly lives on Tuesday nights where I interview other deconstruction uh, content creators on TikTok. Um, and it's so good. It's so fast. I love it. And then I release that in podcast form as well, um, at, which is called the local Heretic Live um, that's what the lives are. So local here take live. Okay. Anyway, um, that's the podcast. Um, I also have a deconstruction coaching business that again, that's called Vivant life coaching. Um, you can find it at Vivant life coaching.com V I V A N T life coaching.com. And you can also schedule an appointment there or just find more information on what deconstructing coaching is. Cool. Yeah. Well, I'm going to have to have you back sometime. Maybe, maybe, maybe talk about some Christian mysticism stuff. Dude, I would love that. I would love that so much. This is that's yeah. like a part of of me that I that I uh, don't share a lot, and I would love to do that. I think it'd be a lot of fun. So, any any book recommendations? I, I've been I, what I want to start doing is asking all of our guests for recommend a book or or two for in, in, in any any genre, realm, or whatever. Book recommendations. Um, I. Uh, I think one of the easiest ways, like just talking about Christian mysticism, one of the easiest first like examples of it, like a first encounter rather is what I'm trying to say, encounter with it, um, could be like Thomas Merton um, and Richard Rohr, although Richard Rohr is famously a terrible writer. Um, I hope he he never hears me say that, but it's no good. Uh, His voice, though, if you can hear his, like listen to his talks. I can't even do it justice. His voice is amazing. Um, yeah. So it's much easier to listen to him than just to read him. Um, but um, I always I always suggest uh, The Naked Now, um, Richard Rohr, um, the, uh, oh, what was his book on, on Christ, The Cosmic Christ or The Universal Christ? Um, Universal Christ. Thank you. Um, so good. And uh, he also has, um, I think it's, oh, I forget the title. Uh, but it's like basically the 12, 12 steps, uh, like AA and spirituality, a lot of mysticism in that. It's it's really, really, really good. Really good. So, and have, oh, John Philip Newell. It, just oh, Google oh, John yeah. Philip Newell and buy all his books. Just do it. Do it right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Go. Well, thanks a lot, uh, Josh. Appreciate your time and uh, catch up with you later. That sounds great, man. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. Check the show notes for more info and links to the stuff we mentioned. And if you want to support the show, you can join at patreon.com slash following the fire. And a very special thanks to Daniel Wheat for our music. You can find more of his work on Spotify, Bandcamp, and more. Links also in the show notes. And for all the links and info all in one spot, go to followingthefire.com. See you next time. Don't you know it's all I have?
Chase me down. 